Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, recently, I was asked to speak to four high school classes, four high school classes full of radio people. Because, you know, some hip and happening high schools actually teach radio these days since you know, radio is not a dying medium. It's growing. It's growing through podcasting. But it's always interesting to teach or to just even talk. I wasn't really teaching. They were just asking me questions. But it's always interesting to talk to teenagers for two reasons. One, because they have so much energy. <laughs> and two, because they sometimes ask the largest questions. <laughs> How do you interview someone? Which, you know, in my head, I wish I could just throw out an easy answer to that but in my head I think of all these different layers of well how did I learn this part of it and how did I learn that part of it and then practice and then this and that you know yes that could be its own talk in fact you've done a talk on that and I've 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 been there that's right you you went to the one I gave in Rome about interviewing but anyway one of the questions that they kept asking was where do you get your ideas or you know, I have to produce a radio story. How do I find one? Mm-hmm. Which reminded me too that so much of being in high school is trying to fulfill assignments, which <laughs> once you get into life, it's a little less like that. But I thought that we could talk about that in a larger sense, because I thought that my answer that I was giving them was kind of philosophical. I wasn't just saying, read a bunch and talk to people. I was also saying, the way that I approach it is not so much how do I find a story to fulfill this assignment that I've been given? But what do I want my life to look like today? Like, what do I actually want to do with myself, my own life? Since this is me living, what would be fun? What do I want to learn about? You mean on a particular day, not like your life in general? Yeah, on a particular day. And of course, some days you're just laying the groundwork for that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I can say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going (laughs) to... be at the birth of a child, you know, and then just wander out and, <laughs> and and do it. You, of course, have to find the people that would be willing to do that. And sometimes that can take months. But still, this idea of what do you want to do today? And so I thought it would be kind of fun if we had some stories of times that we did that. Things that might seem unusual for us to do in our day-to-day lives. We sit around as writers and radio producers. You don't picture us screaming around a racetrack in a race car. But it's something I did. But you've done that. Yeah. <laughs> and I often do it with a microphone in my hand. That's the cool thing about your career. It's like you can capture things in many different ways. But, you know, when you're a radio professional and you just have your microphone with you at all times and you think you think to capture audio, even though I've been podcasting now for seven years it still doesn't come second nature to me to be like, hmm, let me get out my phone and tape this thing that I'm doing right now because it might be useful. I just don't, it doesn't occur to me. Whereas you, you're always ready with the microphone. Yes. And it preserves so many of the, the experiences that you have in such a cool way. Should we start it off that way? Should we listen to a little clip of me in a race car? Sure, sure. And I want you to listen in this clip for when... Uh... One of my favorite lines in this in this clip is I'm basically out with a race car driver, but he's not one of those kind of professional ones that you're picturing at the Daytona 500. He's a guy that owns a really fancy race car and he races it for fun. So this is just like some average dude. Oh my gosh, that's almost scarier. He was very, very nice to take me out. He was one of several people that took me out around the racetrack. But my favorite line in this whole piece is 
where he says, and it's a little hard to hear because we're in a race car, uh, but he says, you want to go around again or something like that? And I say, yeah, let's do it. And and meanwhile, we've had a black flag pulled on us, which I said, what about the black flag? And he said, yeah, black flag's not good, but what the heck? What does a black flag mean? It means pull over and get back in here. Like oh. whatever you did is dangerous. Ooh. And we decided both of us together that we were going to just blast past the black flag and do one more lap. Wow, rebels. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, enjoy. I'm definitely strapped in. How many belts do I have on right now? <laughs> oh, yeah, five. Five. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm ready. Now the helmet. Oh, yeah. All right. You'll enjoy this, Katie. I know. I can't wait. So this is your car? It is. You know, this is... Chevrolet's supercar called the Z06 Corvette and out of the box this car is uh, actually ready for the racetrack. I'm just gonna put some gloves on because we want we want to be hold be able to hold on to the steering wheel. Okay. What we're doing is we're waiting for a gap in the traffic. This sure been fun. Next week you can drive. I don't think I would have the courage to do that. I really don't. Uh, one thing I learned from doing that in sitting around ahead of time before we got in the cars and we had to like sign the waivers. If I get killed in this, this race car track is not responsible. And we're signing that. And as we're doing it, they say, Oh, would you like a soda to drink? So we're all drinking soda. And let me tell you, the worst thing that you can do before you drive over 100 miles an hour, like 140, 150 miles an hour, is drink a soda. Ugh. The bubbles alone are just like <laughs> inside your body. Very uncomfortable. So if you are going to go that fast, don't drink a soda ahead of time. That's my recommendation. All right. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> uh, I don't think that this is ever going to happen to me. I think that I have become pretty, and I think I always was, but I've definitely as I've matured, become a little bit more cautious with my physical safety. Mm -hmm. You know, I've given up on the dream to go, go skydiving. Not a dream. It was, it was a sort Obligation. of... Obligation. No, I thought, it was something I thought I would like to do. Uh -huh. Don't feel like that anymore. And going in a race car, mm, I think I can live without that experience. But what did you turn that experience into? Did you turn it into uh, a piece? Yeah, yeah. What you heard... Um 
was we were doing a series at the time about and this series was the ultimate excuse to just do whatever you wanted really <laughs> we were doing a series at the time about people with unusual jobs or people who did something unique with their hands with their hands it could fit in one of the other categories so we were talking about surgeons for instance okay. and then that's how we went we got to go watch a hip replacement surgery. Yes, I remember that. Because it was about people who were working with their hands. And so the race car drivers are the same thing. They got to wear the leather gloves so they don't lose the grip on the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. So we turned it into that experience. But we fit a lot of things into that category. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people do things with their hands. Well, yep. You can pretty you much know. put anything in there. Almost. Almost. But we did win an award for the surgery one. Oh, nice. Because it was just so graphic. <laughs> you know, it was just like, you know, because a hip replacement surgery is, it sounds like carpentry when you just listen to it from an auditory standpoint. There's a lot of sawing and hammering. Yeah. Don't know. Do you want me to play a clip of that? I could play a small, Shh. small taste of it. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> you can play. I'm not going to listen to it. I mean, that whole piece is fantastic, and it's but it's long. But I could play just the, you know, 15 seconds of what it sounds like. Sure, because, you know, witnessing someone else's hip replacement is a pretty rare thing to do unless you're actually a medical student. Yes, it was. Yeah. Let alone be standing on a riser above the doctor. <laughs> like, I was basically right over the doctor's right shoulder, oh hanging God. a microphone down above him. Like leaning in, wearing goggles. And... Didn't you do some horse dentistry as well? <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean... <laughs> I forgot about that. That's another thing that sounds like carpentry, actually. Horse dentistry. I only know that because I have a photograph of you with a microphone right up to the mouth of a horse while a dentist is taking care of him. Yeah. Yep. Filing, <laughs> it, filing his teeth and... That horse was so um, doped up, like just like when we go to the dentist, <laughs> you know, and we have uh -huh. to have a major surgery done. That horse had to have his head propped on a little metal stand. And he's even still, he's just sort of wavering back and forth. Yeah, very strange experience. Was that the same uh, project or was that a different project? I can't remember if it was related to the same series or not, but it had definitely gotten us in that mindset of who else does weird things for <laughs> a living. And horse dentist was definitely one of them. I also went and talked to an animal eye doctor who was doing surgery. I think it was like a cataract removal surgery on a small dog uh -huh. that day. And that was almost, for me, almost more disgusting than watching the hip replacement surgery because there is something about when you're messing with an eye. Yes. That just... It's horrifying. It's hor Yeah, it's horrifying. I don't know why it is, but it really is. Well, it's because it's such a delicate spot on the body and it's like so unprotected. It's like already inside your body. If someone even touches your eye, it's painful. I know. I mean, I can't even watch a cartoon where the cartoon's eyes fill up with water and drain out. You know how they do that sometimes? <laughs> Just makes my eyes water to no end. And really, they also to do this surgery, this might be this might be the grossest show we ever do. Also to do the surgery, they they pop the eye out of the socket. Okay, you can stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Actually, that was the last, the uh, animal eye surgeon was the last person I did something like that with before moving to Rome. He was my <laughs> last on-the-scene interview. And he actually was the man who took my betta fish <laughs> that I had. Gil? No, no, before Gil. This was, what was that guy's name? I can't even remember what that betta fish's name was now. 
But the one tie that we had to uh, Seattle, besides the fact that I loved my job and had to quit before moving to Rome, was that we had this betta fish. And and what were you going to do with him? And this eye doctor took him. Okay. And took care of him the whole time I was gone and gave him back, except <laughs> he died a couple weeks before we returned. Oh. And he felt terrible about it because, you know, here he thought he kept it alive this whole time. Which was above and beyond, quite honestly. Yeah, for real. And he, rather than just throwing it away, he froze it. Oh my gosh. In case I wanted the body back when I got home. Wow, that is above <laughs> and beyond. I know. I can tell you right now, I haven't done anything as strange or exciting as any of that. At least not in pursuit of a story. I can promise you that. But in pursuit of life? In pursuit of life, perhaps. Sometimes I think to myself, you know, this would make a great article. I should write an article and pitch it. But the truth is, I'm a, an extremely reluctant freelance writer. Mm-hmm. I really don't like doing it. And it took me a long time to figure that out. What I actually don't like about it is the having to come up with an idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. But, but I just, I don't feel like I have, like I have a lot of ideas when it comes to fiction, mm-hmm. a well of ideas. I can come up with anything when it's fiction. But even like a travel piece, to come up with something original, something new, or even something about Rome. I mean, when I was working for the magazine, you know, I had to come up with two or three articles every month about Rome. The well starts to run dry after a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many, so many things you can write about Rome. Or maybe not. I mean, maybe that's just me. Maybe other people are more inventive. And maybe I should have gone out and searched for those stories. Unfortunately, I did not have the kind of schedule that permitted that when I was uh, working full-time there. But uh, all of that is to say that sometimes I'll find myself doing something in Rome or on a trip, and I'm like, wow, this would make a really great travel story. Only problem is... I don't want to have to pitch it. <laughs> like I'm just lazy. I'm just lazy when it comes to travel writing. Like I'm fine writing the article, having to come up with the idea and having to pitch it. That I don't like doing. Fair. So, <laughs> so I realize it's really not for me. If a freelance writing opportunity falls into my lap, I will happily take it. But um, to try to survive doing that, I think I would I would exhaust myself. But um, that said, I lived for a month on the beach in a in a tent in the Bahamas uh-huh. doing yoga camp. <laughs> and I always felt like that was something that was a little bit unusual, something that I definitely could have written about, would have probably made a fun story. And it's funny because while I was there, and this is many, many years ago, really before I got into writing, there was a photographer there who was staying as a guest. She wasn't participating in one of the yoga teacher training courses. And it came out that she was a a photographer for the New York Times and that they were preparing an article on this ashram for the New York Times. And the, the writer had already been there and she hadn't said a word about who she was. She was just there as a guest and, you know, because she didn't want people to know that she was writing an article. She had been there maybe the month before and now the photographer was there taking pictures. Yeah. I read the article after the fact. I was in the in the article, my photograph at least, was in the article, meditating on the beach. It's very evocative. <laughs> zen. Very zen. Yes. Yeah, we never actually meditated on the beach. That never happened. We, we did that in a like, <laughs> different spot. It was an interesting article because it was an interesting place. It, it was this island in the Bahamas, mm. literally called Paradise Island. There's only three things on that island. There's the yoga ashram, which has been there since the 70s. There's a club med. And then there's a ginormous 
mega resort hotel at the end of the island. So this tiny little island with these two hotels and then this like ashram where everyone lives in huts or tents and we all make communal food and, you know, we wash the dishes outside and the bread is baked every morning by the people who are studying yoga there. It was it was an interesting place. Did you like this experience? I loved it. Oh, my God. It was some of the best weeks of my life. It was there for a month. And here's the crazy thing, Katie, and I I think I've told you this before, but I don't know that you remember. When I got there, it's very jungly there. I'm walking through the sort of jungly area back there, and I see someone (laughs) that I recognize. I mean, and it's the last place you would expect to find someone that you recognize, because this is a small place. I mean, there were maybe 20, 30 people total in the course, and then plus, you know, the, the, the staff and the teachers and the guests. I see this person... And we both go, ah! yes. at the same time, we hadn't seen each other in years. Do you know who that person was? I do. I remember who that person was. Our friend, Whitney. Whitney. Yes. Who's now a very successful yoga teacher. Yes. But anyway, yes. it was a very magical experience. It was hard. It was tiring. We had to get up super early in the morning and meditate. It was rough, but, but it was one of those experiences that's totally outside my reality. Nothing about that experience was anything like anything I'd ever done. I basically had never been camping in my life. I mean, sleeping by myself in a tent. I mean, I remember sweeping out my tent every day to get the sand out of it and thinking to myself, who is this person who's living this life, (laughs) sweeping out my tent every morning, meditating at 5.30? But it was a wonderful experience. And I would love to go back and do it again, maybe for a shorter period of time, maybe for a week or something. But that was wonderful. See, it's interesting because me describing my experiences and you describing that experience it's almost like I have the opposite feeling. Like you say, oh, I would never want to do any of those things. And I think of that and I'm like, I would not want to do that. <laughs> I mean, the tent on the beach sounds kind of fun, but the yoga retreat aspect of it, I think, oh, that's like the last thing in the world I would sign up to do, I think. I know because you're not a yoga person. You don't like yoga. Well, I can't say I don't like yoga. I've only done yoga twice. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't really, I don't have a formed opinion on yoga, but even still. It was wonderful. The, my only complaint was that it was just a little bit too, um, we hardly had any free time. Mm. And that was the only thing because there's this gorgeous beach, this empty beach right in front of us. I swam very little. I would probably swim once a day, but I had to be quick about it. It wasn't like lying around on the beach all day. I was in yoga class for four hours a day. I was doing also karma yoga, which is sort of like what they call selfless service. You do a service, whether it's washing the dishes or uh, sweeping the floors or whatever. And, you know, of course, the meditation morning and night and then lessons. We had lessons. We had anatomy lessons and uh, chanting lessons, like all sorts of lessons. But I loved it because, first of all, nobody had cell phones. I think there was a rule, no cell phones, but this was 2003, Katie. So like, even though people did have cell phones back in 2003, we weren't as attached to them. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, they didn't do much yet. Yeah, and I mean, you probably couldn't use it there anyway because it was a foreign country, so, mm-hmm. so nobody was on their phone ever. We were always together, all, you know, the people in the course. I spent almost no time indoors for an entire month. The yoga was all done outside. I was sleeping outside. I was eating outside. There is something to that. There is something to sort of going to a place where you're so immersed in nature, just the outdoors, doing something that everyone is focused on the same thing. Oh, and also, might I add, doing yoga four hours a day 
you feel incredible all the time. And I will tell you the name of the place just in case anyone listening to this is like, I want to go there. Um, it's called the Shivananda Ashram Retreat. And it is on the Paradise Island in the Bahamas. And, but yeah, I mean, honestly, when you said right at the beginning of this episode, you know, what do I want my life to look like? Now, you were talking about one specific day. But I thought for a moment you were talking about like life in general. And I realize, and I've come to realize as I've gotten older, that I, I really want to be in nature. And this is something that doesn't really, uh, I mean, you, I think people who know us both well would assume that you might be someone who really likes nature. You're very into animals, you know, you notice the plants. I'm not really like that. I'm like kind of a quote unquote indoorsy person. Derek calls me though. I think I've told you this before. Derek says that I'm not really outdoorsy. I'm outsidey. <laughs> okay. Which means I'm also probably a hybrid that likes to be close to home. Like I don't really want to go camp in the woods for a week. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather just go for a day hike and then come home. I think I'm probably the same. Yeah. I like the outdoors so much more than I ever thought I did. It took a few experiences hiking or being in nature, being in the mountains, particularly in recent years to make me realize how much I love it and how good I feel when I'm doing it and how, how much I miss it. Because I mean, I grew up, as you know, of course you did as well, in a place with gorgeous nature. I spent a lot of my youth out of doors mm -hmm. and I just don't have that reality anymore. And I think I miss it more than I realize. Well, this was something that actually living in Rome for the year that I was there, and now you've been there for 16 years or whatever, I did find about Rome that Rome is strongly missing nature. I know it has some parks, some really great parks, but they're all somehow plant. Mm. You know, there's nothing sort of wild about it. So it could be like big open green space, but the trees have been planted in rows. The ponds are carved out that the ducks are in. You know, they aren't naturally occurring ponds. They're planted there and because people have courtyards they do but they have them inside the home behind the house it's not like nature and flowers and things are just spilling onto the streets mm -hmm. in the san francisco it was the same way and i really found that those are the aspects of rome and san francisco that i didn't like living in that it's all a built environment mm -hmm. it's not giving itself over to nature and if there is nature they're hiding it behind the house yeah so yeah so i think that really made me crave seattle which is a little bit more gardens flowers people purposefully plant gardens in parking strips just for the enjoyment of the people wandering around you know but yes i hear what you're saying the older i get the more i also want to be outside so get tired of stuff humans have made for sure a quick aside now because we have a very special offer for you it's a good one because so many of us want to learn a language other than our own. And sometimes you just need a push. You need the incentive. You already want to be able to have a conversation in Spanish or you already need to learn French because of the job you just got. But how do you actually sit down and learn that language? How do you give yourself that push? Well, we have an opportunity where you could achieve your goal of speaking a new language in just three months with an intensive language learning with Lingoda. Lingoda is the number one trusted European language school with the German stamp of quality and very affordable prices. And right now they are doing a Lingoda Sprint, which gives you the opportunity to attend all your classes and get up to 100% cash back 
when you do. This is a thing that more than 40,000 people have participated in, and you could be in the next wave of students learning to speak a new language in just three months. Now, Tiffany, you've actually attended Lingoda Language School. Yes, I have. Online school, but it's very small classes taught by an actual native speaking teacher. The maximum amount of students that are allowed are five in every class. And you can take the class anytime you want, 24-7, middle of the night if you want to. Proven methods, expert design curriculums. They say they can deliver the results, but you've been there. So what was it like? For the last two weeks, you've been doing a more advanced French, but I hear that this week you decided to try a language that you knew nothing about. Yeah, this week I took a beginner German lesson. German is a language that I've always had a little bit of a fascination for and studied very briefly in college, like I don't even count it. Uh, so I started back at the very beginning and it was really fun. The teacher was great, she was super friendly. Uh, she did speak a little bit of English uh, when necessary. You know, she tried to speak a, as little English as possible, but obviously if you're with beginners, sometimes you need to explain something that someone's just not understanding. Yeah, that's good to know because I was curious because you're in more advanced French, you had gotten to the point where the teacher didn't ever speak English. Exactly. And for somebody like me who would just be starting out, that seems intimidating. So it's nice to know that when you begin, they're with you, they're helping you out, they're helping you get to the level that you were in French. Yeah, it's definitely not a class that is oriented in English. It's not like she's making any presentations in English, especially because the other students might be from countries they might not speak English. There was a Spanish girl in the class, and but they're definitely not all native English speakers in the class. And so Definitely, I would say she spoke more German than English, but definitely when necessary, she could explain something very briefly in English. And it was great. And there was a lot of visual as well. So it's, you've got the teacher there and you can see her. And then when the other students speak, they pop up as well. So you can see your fellow students. And obviously, as I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about French, you are asked to participate quite a lot. And so you have to read uh, and you have to ask questions and answer questions. And obviously, if it's an early lesson, it's nothing too, too complicated. But she does definitely, the teacher I had at least, she does challenge you. And uh, it's great because there was no shame to be like, I don't know, I have no idea. But on the other hand, I did feel challenged at the same time. So let's say that you committed to this Lingoda sprint and you took German every single day for the next three months. Do you think that you would have a really good understanding of the language by then? I do. I do. It seems that it's very well organized and very thorough. Just sort of looking through the, the classes that they offer in each section seems to be very thorough, very uh, well thought out and well planned. So this is the push that you need dear listener, if you are really wanting to learn a language. This is a limited time thing. They do not do this all the time. But if you sign up for a super sprint, that means that you will attend 30 classes a month for three months. You'll be in class every day. And if you do that, you'll get 100% cash back. Now, if that seems a little too ambitious for you and your schedule, you could also join a sprint, which is committing to taking 15 classes a month for three months. And if you do that, you get 50% of your money back. So this is really a chance to learn a language without breaking the bank. And, and even if you don't attend all your classes, this is a small group class, maximum of five students, like I mentioned, really affordable from about 10 euros a class. So still pretty inexpensive. This is the push though. 
you have to sign up for this by April 16th and you have to start your classes by April 28th. So this is coming up quick. Don't delay. It is around the corner. Right around the corner. There's a link in our show notes for more information or to sign up. And we can also get you a discount on your deposit Mm -hmm. if you use the code bittersweet. So be sure to follow that link. Use the code bittersweet if you decide to sign up. You can currently learn German, French, Spanish, English, or business English. Those are the classes that they're offering right now. But hurry up, as they say, space is limited. (laughs) Lingoda Sprint has been running for more than three years. And in those three years, the concept has been proven by many successful students all over the world. Signing up for an intensive three-month class really does get you speaking the language you want to know. All right, back to the show. I learned taxidermy once. <laughs> oh my God. I can never top you, Katie. I learned taxidermy once. <laughs> That's just something that you don't, you just something you don't hear in ordinary conversation. <laughs> the sound of popping out that seagull's eyeball was a sound like nothing you've ever heard. It's back to the eyeball thing again. But it was one of the best sounds I ever recorded. Oh my gosh. Because we had a dead seagull. It was an artist, this local artist in Seattle who's fantastic if you want to look him up his name is tony angel he's i love his stuff so much but he also learned taxidermy as a young kid because all of his art is very nature-based it's all either drawings or he's also a stone sculptor so he does these huge stone sculptures of eagles and crows and all sorts of stuff and when he was a kid he learned how to taxidermy stuff that he found dead on the road so that he could study the wing of a bird and be able to actually represent it correctly. So on his desk in his studio, there's just a big pile of bird wings and heads and wow, you know, all this stuff that he's taxidermied over the years to have as reference points, which I think is so cool. But so I had asked him if he would show me how it was done. Well, how <laughs> is it done, Katie? Oh, I mean, it's so complicated. <laughs> I know that there's sand involved, correct? Yeah, I don't even know if I could tell you now. I'm it was a one-time lesson, so it's not like I'm now doing taxidermy on my off times. You know, I'd have to go a lot further down the rabbit hole on that one. But the thing that was surprising about it, though, was how much it smells. And of course it does. Of course it does. <laughs> but you just don't think about that when you see a taxidermied animal, like what it takes to get it into that form. Yeah, there's something that, like you with the yoga, there's something I would never, ever get near. Um, But you know, it made me it makes me think how many things there are to do, even as hobbies in life and how few the average person touches. Mm -hmm. We stick to what we know we like. Yeah, yeah. And it's so rare for someone to search outside of their established preferences. Like I might start studying, I don't know, a different artist, like I might start studying Titian, you know, (laughs) whom I know nothing about. But that's not really going that far from my established interest. I might learn to do Pilates instead of yoga. But again, it's more of the same, or at least it's on the same bent. Whereas doing something totally different, I mean, you have to just actually have a good imagination, first of all, and think outside the box. Because I mean, like when somebody's thinking about like, what possible hobby could I try? Like, who thinks of taxidermy? Like, no one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure some people do. (laughs) Who thinks of something else that you did? I think you worked at a mortuary for a while, didn't you? Mm, Yeah. And you assisted in... Embalming people. What did you assist in embalming? God, again. (laughs) Embalming, makeup, 
dressing. A little bit of a fasc- fascination with death. You've al- you've always had a little bit of a fascination with death. That's true. But in fact, funniest line ever when I was um, working at the mortuary one one day, the first day I was ever there. You know, and I'm working with this one mortician. Well, we embalmed one person, and then and then we had to dress a different person, <sighs> which is really hard, by the way. Dressing a dead person is so hard. <laughs> um, but the the this is going to be too gross actually oh god katie either way let's just say occasionally leakage happens and he said something like do you think your friends can imagine could imagine what you're doing right now Mm. and i looked up at him and i said what diapering a corpse i don't think so oh my lord Oh, God. Like, I feel like that oh, would be God. a really hard one for them to guess. <laughs> yeah, give me all day yoga on the beach any day over that horror. Uh, well, just to end, randomly, Claudia was talking to me today. He just brought up something that he did totally out of the ordinary for him, and that is he golfed once. <laughs> mm. That might not sound like something very out of the ordinary for your typical American, but it, I would say golf is is pretty rare over here. People do do it, but it's not common at all. Mm-hmm. And we were in Boise, Idaho, staying with my sister, and uh, he went out golfing with my brother-in-law and my nephew and his girlfriend. He was terrible at it, doing his best and and not ashamed. Claudio is actually very athletic, Mm -hmm. but he's not necessarily sporty. Yes. He works out regularly. He's in the gym. He's he's in very, very good shape, but he doesn't play calcio or soccer. He doesn't he doesn't really play any sport that I know of. So I don't know like how his coordination is, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, he was, you know, totally tearing up the the green with the um what is that thing called? The golf club? I don't <laughs> golf either. <laughs> but <laughs> obviously, here's the thing. It was like right towards the very end of the day. And they were on one of their very last holes. And I'm going to get all the terminology wrong. So forgive me. I don't know. What do you call it when like driving? When like you hit it and you got to go really far. Mm-hmm. I think that's called driving, right? So he hits the thing. Of course, he probably had to like swing at it three or four times to get it. But he hits the ball and it flies 130 yards and it goes in the hole wow that's great yeah and they were like what (laughs) my nephew is hilarious he's like you chipped it in (laughs) i don't i guess that means yeah claudio said to me today thinking about it he was like you know that's a quote-unquote extraordinary thing it's not something that happens commonly obviously you know if you play golf a lot you're gonna maybe have a lucky shot like that every once in a while but it's pretty rare for someone to have never played and to be not talented at all and to have an extraordinary situation like that. And he's like, that would never have happened to me if I hadn't played golf in Idaho that one random day. And yeah, I thought that was kind of fun. Well, it does bring up that question of, well, how do you discover something new? Mm -hmm. I had this theory once, this was back actually when I had graduated from college and you have enough adulthood behind you outside of school where for me at least, it suddenly dawned on me, wow, I could never learn anything new again. <laughs> what? Well, if 
unless I like purposely seek out things, there are no more classes. There are no more teachers who are just saying, and today we're going to examine the Revolutionary War. And you're like, oh, okay, I don't know anything about the Revolutionary War. That kind of stuff isn't going to happen just sort of naturally in life unless you seek it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how am I ever going to discover new things? And of course, this is long before NPR, you know, which helped me discover new things every day. But, and I remember thinking, what I should do is look at the event listings in the newspaper and I should go to the thing that sounds the least interesting to me. Oh my gosh, you're so good. Who does that? I don't know that I ever followed through and I actually don't know if it's a good theory, but it would be interesting to see once we can go to events again, what happens when you go to the thing that is sort of on its surface, not that interesting to you. Well, 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 hang on. You went to, if I'm not mistaken, a police academy type deal? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, police academy is not the right word. What was it called? It was a community police academy is what they called it. A community police academy. If I'm not mistaken, you met your husband there. Yeah. I mean, if that is not proof enough that going outside of your (laughs) comfort zone and your box of already established hobbies is not a good thing to do, then I don't know what is. That's true. And there was plenty of boring days in that police academy. I bet. (laughs) Because, you know, all things considered, their police administration is not really something I'm actually interested in. Which is why I think this theory of just picking something that you're not interested in at all and doing it isn't necessarily the right theory. But you're right. You're right. On the surface, like doing that thing. I met Derek, but I also, they put us through exercises where you get to drive the little robot around that uh, diffuses bombs, you know, <laughs> you get to sit in a police van and try to drive this little robot around. It was so hard. So you have kind of an appreciation for some of these more technical things. Or you get to meet the dogs that can detect drugs, the ones that are like at TSA and stuff and watch them go through their training lessons. So there's certain fun things about that. Uh-huh. You've done a lot of unusual things, Katie. Well, hopefully there's more to come. Once we get back out in the world. Well, yeah. And I'm going to be inspired by you. And I'm going to look for new things to learn about. Well, maybe that should be an assignment. Once the um, pandemic is over, whenever that may be, you and I have to grab our tape recorders Mm -hmm. and go do something highly unusual. Yeah. And then put it on this show. Okay. It's a deal. Okay. And for those of you listening, if you have ideas of what unusual you would like to hear us do, (laughs) I welcome your suggestions. Absolutely. Because some of the best things I've ever done were suggested by listeners. So if you have ideas, please send them to us. Yes. You can write to us at bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com or through the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net. You could also send your suggestions through social media. Yes, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter Just search for the Bittersweet Life Podcast. For those of you who are on Patreon, monthly supporters on Patreon, you can send it through the Patreon app, too. There's just so many ways to find us. We're everywhere. Yes, we're everywhere. Uh, (laughs) Well, we'll leave it there for now. And until next time, this is the Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Right hip is marked. Right hip replacement. That pressure looks good. Can we get underway? Yes. Jolene, I'm taking a knife. Thanks. 1316 on incision. This yellow tissue that you see here is fat, and the consistency of it is slippery, not unlike butter. This next tissue, this white tissue here that you can see is called fascia, and it's fairly firm and resistant. It's got almost the 
fence when you when you cut through it like it's almost canvas like not quite as, as tough as canvas but not a lot different either knife please this is an electrical cautery device it stops bleeding it can also be used to cut tissue sometimes when I dissect through muscle we use that a little bit to keep the bleeding to a minimum underneath the fascia the next thing you'll see is is muscle that's this red tissue here and that has the consistency of a very, very fresh steak. In other words, you can probably push your finger into it or indent it. It has some resistance to it. So just coming through muscle down to get to get down to the level of the hip here. I have a big little. Thanks. So if you look in there, you can actually see the arthritic ball here. And we're going to pop it out and you'll see it better in a minute. Go ahead. Ready? Yep. Easy and slow dance. Real awesome. Good. So there's a lot of suction holding that ball into that socket, and that's what you heard. So what I'm showing you here is her arthritic ball. And I have a, you have a retractor here? Yep. I'm going to show you something. You'll be able to hear this. If there was cartilage on that, it would be a, be a muffled sound. Where there's cartilage, it makes a different, a different sound. And this is raw bone being tapped by metal. You shouldn't hear that, okay? And somebody with a cartilage pad it should be a quarter inch thick, you wouldn't hear it at all. She doesn't have any even normal cartilage left for me to show you. And so I'm going to make a mark on the neck of her femur, which is the part right below the ball, and we'll cut along that mark. Saw, please. This is a power saw, like the one you get in Ace Hardware. consistency of that is probably similar to, to cutting pine with a high-speed saw. We're taking that ring of bone spurs down, try to get a sense of what direction her, the new socket that I'm going to put in wants to face. If you get it in the wrong alignment, her hip replacement, her man-made hip can become unstable. You really want to make it as accurate as you can get it the first time through. So we're taking her misshapen socket and with these hemisphere-shaped reamers, turning it back into a round shape. Well, I think 54 is going to be just perfect. So this is a this is a titanium socket, it's a hemisphere. It's got some holes that we're going to pass screws through, and it'll take a plastic bearing that we're going to use on her. Should I have a drill? We're using her landmarks to make sure that the socket goes in where it belongs. Do we have the shorter drill? You notice there's no glue holding the component to her bone. The components have microscopic pores that her bone can lock into, and that takes about six weeks' time. So it goes down to a place where it locks in and doesn't go any farther. That's how we know we're done. It gives a feedback, just like when you're using a chisel again in a wood shop. The tissue pushes back or the bone pushes back against, uh, against the implant as you're tapping it in. The pitch changes so you're listening as well as feeling and when it stops, it stops. Minus three, please. And that's it. We're just about done. Thanks for joining us. Please share the show. Tell your friends and family about this great discovery that you've made. 
And if you own a business, consider sponsoring the show. Sponsoring is a great way to reach an educated and diverse group of wonderful people living all over the United States and the world. Send us a note at bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. That's bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or visit the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net.